Live around the globe, it's time for Rudy Max's World on the SSI Radio Network. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Get on the phone now and call 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. And now, the savvy traveler himself, Rudy Maxa. Welcome aboard on this July 4th weekend. Best regards to you and your family and your friends. Um, maybe you heard my travel minute on Friday, but if you didn't, I'd like to say a word about one of the freedoms I think a lot of us take for granted, but we don't think about a lot on July 4th weekend. You know, we think about freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom to assemble, freedom to protest our government, but we don't think a lot about the freedom to travel. Now, if you're a new listener and you're just joining me, you've come across America's most widely syndicated radio travel show. I'm your host, travel writer and broadcaster, Rudy Maxa. Uh, it's sometimes easy to forget that millions and millions and millions of people in this world are simply not free to travel. They can't just go anywhere. They can't just pick up, pack a suitcase, and buy an airline ticket. And I'm not talking about folks who can't afford to travel. I'm talking about people who can't travel because of the laws or the customs in the country they live in. I mean, you don't see a lot of North Koreans browsing the aisles of your local department store because their government keeps tight control on their travel. Uh, when I refer to customs, I think of customs that may have been codified. For example, if you're a woman under 45 years of age in Saudi Arabia, you must obtain permission from your, quote, male guardian, unquote, if you want to leave the country. Heck, if you're a woman of any age in Saudi Arabia, you're not permitted to drive around the block in a car. Women still cannot, get legal, cannot legally drive in Saudi Arabia. It seems hard to believe, doesn't it? It's 2014. So whether you're celebrating by, I don't know, grilling brats in the backyard or pouring champagne on the fantail of your yacht in Marina del Rey, uh, if you're an American, remember that uh, we enjoy wide latitude. We can roam almost anywhere in the world, and I think that's a freedom worth celebrating. All right, that's my July 4th sermon. There you go. Let's take a look at uh, some of this week's news and travel. Well, you don't expect your average Delta employee without a trust fund would be able to drop $98,000 at Cartier on some bangles, $61,000 at Chanel, $27,000 at Hermes, and uh, $10,000 at Gucci. But if you and your buddy had defrauded Delta of $22 million, well, that's, a, that's another story. It's not hard to believe. Did you hear that number? $22 million. These two guys are alleged to have defrauded from Delta Airlines. That's what a grand jury in Atlanta charged this week when it indicted Paul Anderson of Apple Valley, Minnesota. I mean, sounds like a sitcom town, doesn't it? Apple Valley, Minnesota. It's also a Collegeville, Minnesota, which I always think Superman must come from there. Clark Kent must come from there. Anyway, I, I digress. Anyway, so this grand jury in Atlanta charged uh, this Apple Valley resident, Paul Anderson, and his sidekick, Michael Yader of Los Angeles, on 96 counts of mail fraud and one count of conspiracy to commit mail fraud to get this $22 million. How did they do it? Well, Anderson, who, by the way, has been with the airline for 32 years, first when it was Northwest, and then he stayed on when Delta bought Northwest. He was the supervisor of Northwest's communications group that maintained radio communications for the airline's control and crisis centers out of his office in Minnesota, where Northwest used to be headquartered. I don't know what Yader, the guy on the West Coast, did. I don't know what he did. But wait a minute. Yeah, I know one of the things he did. He allegedly made up phony invoices for a company called Airborne Voice and Data Communications Services. Well, I went on the web to see if I could find Airborne Voice and Data Communications Service, and according to an Internet site for a company with that name, 
It's a one-page website, by the way. The company was founded in 1985, provides voice and data communication services around the world, mostly for defense-related industries. I do not know if the website I was looking at is the same airborne voice and data communication service uh, that uh, this California guy was making phony invoices in the name of. So don't, don't, don't hold me to that. Anyway... According to the indictment, Yader allegedly sent to his buddy Anderson at Northwest and later Delta in Minnesota these phony invoices totaling $22 million over nine years. And the airlines paid them because Anderson submitted them. Nine years this has been going on. Uh, Simply astonishing, as the U.S. attorney who announced the indictment put it, simply astonishing. No word on whether Anderson has been arrested, but Yader was arrested on his boat in San Diego. Wait, did I say boat? I meant I should have said well, it's 72 feet in length. I probably should have said yacht. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a scam. Nine years and $22 million. That's right up there. Well, switching subjects, it was six months ago the Colorado legalized marijuana. And this week, a trade organization for the new industry released reports saying it had been good for the state. Um, we talked with Michael Elliott last hour. You know about that. Uh, as regular listeners know, I broadcast this show at 10 o'clock Eastern on Saturday morning. And as I do that, well, it's actually about 11.09 right now. They're celebrating the National Cherry Festival in Traverse City, Michigan. It started on the 4th and runs through the 12th. I know a good number of our stations time shift this show to later on Saturday, even Sunday. But uh, it's not too late if you're around Traverse City, Michigan, in the lower peninsula of Michigan. You missed the cherry pancake breakfast. It started at 8. The two-person volleyball tournament started at 9. But they got a golf tournament starting about now that promises, listen to this, a million dollars to any player who scores a hole-in-one. Now, the beer tent opens at noon just before an air show, and the opening of the blues and barbecue tent opens around 1230. You can participate in the Cherry Pie Bike Ride Sunday at 10 a.m., and you'll get a free slice of pie, guess what flavor, from the Grand Grand Traverse Pie Company. The Navy's Blue Angels will be swooping overhead, this pairing of wines with, I guess, cherries. It's all about America's cherries pie. By the way, uh, Traverse City is the nation's largest producer of tart cherries. Well, let's see what else we have in news before we get on to our guests. On Wednesday of the past week, the Department of Homeland Security told the TSA to implement enhanced security measures at foreign airports with direct flights to the United States. We're going to talk more about this with Dr. Todd Curtis of airsafe.com toward the end of this hour. As of Monday of this week, which is, well, it's July 4th weekend, the average retail gasoline price in the U.S. was $3.70 a gallon. That's the highest it's been for July 4th weekend since 2008. Uh, by the way, here's an interesting factoid. Texas's monthly oil production hit 3 million barrels a day for the first time since the late 70s. Things are coming, coming up roses, coming up oily in Texas. North Dakota's output hit 1 million barrels a day for the first time as well recently. These numbers are courtesy of the U.S. Department of Energy. It was a river of water running through the aisles of a Qantas passenger plane about an hour after takeoff for Australia this week. At least that's how it was described by one passenger in a social media post, apparently a pipe that held drinking water burst on the plane and leaked through the roof onto passengers. Now, there were no injuries, and the air crew handed out blankets to keep passengers dry as the plane turned around and returned to Los Angeles. By the way, the woman who posted that comment on Twitter was actress Yvonne Nicole Brown, who appears on the television sitcom called Community. Always nice when you have a celebrity actress tweeting what's going on planes above. All right, coming up, we're going to talk in just a, just a moment with uh, um, Elizabeth Pisani. She's a globe-trotting journalist and epidemiologist. She spent a lot of time in Indonesia 
which is what her book's about. It's called Indonesia, etc. Simon Winchester, a uh, sometime guest on this show, called Miss Bassani's book in the Wall Street Journal last weekend a spectacular achievement, one of the best travel books I've read. Elizabeth joins me, uh, well, in just a few minutes. Uh, then we're going to talk with the novelist Ellen Sussman, who set her story in Provence. She's lived, she lived for five years in France, visits often. Her book is called Wedding in Provence. I want to ask her what it is about places like Provence and in Italy. What is it about these places like Tuscany that so entrance travelers? And we got a couple other guests. Full show coming up this hour on July 4th weekend. Glad you decided to spend a little bit of it with me. We'll take a break here for some commercials. We'll come right back in Rudy Max's world. Don't touch that dial. Rudy Max's World phone lines are open now, so call us at 800-387-8025. We'll be back after these messages. Introducing Orbitz Rewards. It's the only way to earn and redeem rewards instantly. And the only thing better than earning and redeeming instant travel rewards? Earning and redeeming even more instant travel rewards. When you join Orbitz Rewards, use the promo code GOGOGO for an extra 15% off eligible hotels. Instant rewards you can pile on top of more instant rewards. That's what we call happy. Sign up now at Orbitz.com slash rewards to get instant vacation gratification or look under sponsors at RudyMaxa.com. If you've got aches and pain and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to Dave talk about Relief Factor 4. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor 4 and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information or to order Relief Factor 4, go online at relieffactor4.com. That's relieffactor4.com. TrueCar.com is changing car buying forever. Yes, every day, TrueCar users receive negotiation-free, guaranteed savings. Some features not available in all states. In the first three months of this year, over 126,000 cars were sold by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. TrueCar users save an average of $3,078 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy a car, just follow three easy steps. First, go to TrueCar.com and find out what other people paid for the car you're looking for. Then register at TrueCar.com to see upfront pricing information and lock in your savings. Third, simple. Just print out your True Car Savings Certificate and take it to the True Car Certified Dealer for a better, hassle-free car buying experience. Remember, every day, True Car users receive negotiation-free, guaranteed savings. Save time, save money, and never overpay. Visit TrueCar.com today. That's TrueCar.com. The telephone number to call the program is 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or visit the show online at RudyMaxa.com. Here again is Rudy Maxa. Welcome back to Rudy Maxa's World. This segment's brought to you by Orbitz. And Orbitz Rewards, the only way to earn and redeem rewards instantly. And what's better than that? Well, earning and redeeming instant travel rewards. You can do that when you join Orbitz Rewards and use the and use the promo code GO 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 and you'll get an extra 15% off eligible hotel stays. Instant rewards that you can pile on top of more instant rewards. Sign up now at orbitscom rewards to get instant vacation gratification or go to rudymaxa.com and look under sponsors and you'll find a direct link. So this week I read or I guess it was actually last weekend I read a review of a new book on Indonesia. The book is called Indonesia etc. 
The publisher is Elizabeth Pisani, and it's published by Norton. The review is written by a friend of mine and a frequent guest on this show, Simon Winchester. And he called this a spectacular achievement and one of the very best travel books I have read. Well, I know Simon well. He does not toss out compliments very easily. So my eyes were focused on this book instantly. He described the author as a force of nature. She's a British-educated American, a young 50, vastly intelligent, doggedly curious, spectacularly multilingual, and as we learn from her book, Indonesia, etc., lately divorced from her Javanese husband. We also learn that she's a seasoned and gossipy drinker, an occasional smoker, a determined atheist, and as adventurous a travel as it's possible to imagine. Elizabeth, um, if you could stop the smoking, can we? Can we marry me? <laughs> well, uh, my you might have the same face as my Javanese husband, who was in fact fictional. Um, so one of the funny things about traveling around a country like Indonesia, if you're a woman of a certain age uh, by yourself speaking bad Jakarta street slang, by which I mean good Jakarta street slang, um, <laughs> is that people are like, uh, so does not compute need a husband, need children, need a job. And so I made up all of those things, um, including the, the Javanese husband who, who appears in Simon's Review. So that caused me great amusement. Well, I mean, did you have a Javanese boyfriend, at least, who you called your husband? Uh, no, no, no. This was a completely fictional character. Um, really? And he was always waiting. In fact, most of the time I wasn't divorced from him. I was only divorced from him in, when I had got really friendly with people and had to explain why he wasn't with me. Um, but uh, most of the time he was just waiting for me in the next town. I was and so when you would explain this week. to people you were interviewing in Indonesia, it would put them at ease, the fact you had the, the husband waiting in the next town. Exactly. It's, uh, otherwise, I was just too strange a beast. <laughs> Elizabeth, uh, this is a country with 17,500 islands. I bet if you, if you queried the average American on the street, they would say, oh, I've heard of Bali. Oh, it's a, a great place to go. And if you said it's part of Indonesia, they'd go, what? We don't know Indonesia correct. well, do we? And funnily enough, it's not just Americans. Um, I noticed recently that HSBC, your global bank, yes. um, had a little uh, hiccup when they denied someone access to their credit cards because the person had told them they were going to Bali. Um, and they said, yeah, but the receipts were coming from Indonesia. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was amusing. Yeah, so I remember when I left Washington after 30 years to move to St. Paul, Minnesota, I'd tell people I'm moving to St. Paul, and they go, I've always wanted to live in the south of France. I've dreamt of that. It's wonderful. And I would say, no, it's not St. Paul de Vance, it's St. Paul de Minnesota. So uh, we are, but I can't believe HSBC didn't know that. So what captivated you about Indonesia? What took you there in the first place? And is it a place you will go back to again and again? I describe Indonesia rather like a, a bad boyfriend. Um, I like the bad boyfriend illusion. I presume um, that means yes. you will go back <laughs> again and again. Because it's for taping. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think of Indonesia kind of like a bad boyfriend. It's, he, he is charming and he's funny and he makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside and then he forgets your birthday and he's rude to your mother and he comes home drunk every night for three weeks until you know it's all going to end in tears. You want to slap him upside the head, but somehow you keep going back for more. Now, are you uh, speaking of, excuse me for interrupting, are you speaking of rural Indonesia as a whole? Are you speaking of just of Jakarta? The, actually, the big cities are the more frustrating places. Um, the rural Indonesia as a whole is a very, very large whole. I've been traveling there on and off for 25 years, and last year I spent uh, a good um, 13 months on the road, and I didn't begin to scratch the surface of it. And that's one of the things that sucks you into Indonesia. It's just 
endlessly fascinating. And the diversity is so great that everywhere you go is stratospherically different from everywhere else. So a visit to Java is like being on a different planet from a visit to Sulawesi or a visit to some of the outer islands in the dry, barren southeast of the country, very different from the gorgeous, lush, volcano-dotted rice fields of Java, different again from the steamy jungles. I mean, you're pulling out all these cliches, but they really do all apply to this country, which has just about everything except ski slopes. Well, when, when you tell people, and I'm not asking you to give us a tour uh, guide account to Indonesia, but if someone's never been there, uh, what do you, where do you tell them to go? Uh, I, your description of Jakarta, I've not been there, but I'm very familiar with Thailand, Bangkok. I've been at home there for 22 years. It sounds like Bangkok. Uh, pollution, a lot of traffic, craziness, you know, some streets not as clean as others. But what do you tell an American who wants to go to Indonesia for the first time? What, what cities or islands do you say, here's what you ought to do? It depends on their level of adventurousness, because truthfully, Indonesia, most of the country is not an easy travel. It's not full of uh, glorious, luxurious hotels. Um, it's not full of English-speaking um, people who will happily uh, guide you around. That is true of Java. Um, Java is very accommodating and very beautiful, has a fantastic culture, spectacular um, temples, both Buddhist and Hindu, um, that date from the 10th century. Really beautiful. So that's a good starting place. For the more adventurous, I would say go east. The eastern islands are absolutely fascinating. And wherever you go, even without a single word of Indonesian, people are, I mean, I know it's really commonplace to say, oh, people are so friendly. But Indonesians really are the most hospitable people on the planet. And that comes from the history, the fact that it's a string of islands that runs between China and India and means that you've had the passage of trade and boats through those islands for millennia. So people are used to strangers pitching up and needing help and needing accommodation. And so there is a level of, of friendliness and, and um, general welcome, which will uh, suck the more adventurous traveler in, even in the less well-trodden parts of the country. My guest is Elizabeth Pisani. She's written a new book called Indonesia, Etc. Rave reviews in the Wall Street Journal last weekend from Simon Winchester, who, as I said when I introduced her, does not give rave reviews often. We've only got a couple minutes left, unfortunately. But a lot of people, leaving aside a tourist spot like Bali and Java, um, a lot of Americans' familiarity is with these sort of footnotes in news stories about uh, Muslim folks and how well Indonesia is mostly Muslim and but you know there are different kind of you know we're trying we're hoping it doesn't erupt what is your take on that religion and that world view of folks who have that religion in that country Indonesia is not technically a Muslim nation um, it constitutionally uh, it's pluralist and and most Indonesians are genuinely open to any religion there, of course, is a small uh, minority of extremists. And, you know, I think if you spend much time uh, in <clears throat> parts of this country, you'll find a small minority of Christian extremists who are just as mouthy. 
um, extremists tend to make the most noise, but they in no way represent the majority who are hugely tolerant and particularly not just tolerant, but curious about other people's religion. So you'll very often in Indonesia get asked the question, what's your religion? And that's sort of... It, it takes one aback, particularly as a European. You think, oh, that's not something we really talk about in public. So people are curious about your religion, and they expect you to have a religion. Atheism is not something one easily admits to. But there's no sense of, I'm a Muslim, you're not, therefore we're somehow, you're somehow inferior or we're somehow different. It's a very tolerant place in every way. Elizabeth, uh, I have not, uh, normally I have a chance to read a, an author's book before talking uh, to her, uh, but I had, did, have not in this case, but Simon's uh, review convinced me. If you have an interest in Indonesia and, and that amazing uh, archipelago of all those islands, pick it up. It's called Indonesia, Incorp excuse me, Indonesia, etc., ETC period. It's written by Elizabeth Pisani, P-I-S-A-N-I, and it's published at Norton. Do you have a website, Elizabeth, I can refer people to? I do, IndonesiaEtc.com. Well, that's easy enough. Uh, pick it up and uh, learn a little about that part of the country. I can't wait to read it because, as I said, Simon Winchester uh, is a serious writer himself, and uh, it was the most flattering review I've read from him in a long time. Elizabeth, I really appreciate drop you dropping by, and I wish you best of luck with your book. Thank you very much. You're listening to Rudy Max's World on this July 4th weekend. I'm glad you are. Uh, look forward to uh, having you stay with me after this break. Now to talk to Rudy Maxa at 800-387-8025. You can also email the show anytime at info at rudymaxa.com. Introducing Orbitz Rewards. It's the only way to earn and redeem rewards instantly. And the only thing better than earning and redeeming instant travel rewards? Earning and redeeming even more instant travel rewards. When you join Orbitz Rewards, use the promo code GOGOGO for an extra 15% off eligible hotels. Instant rewards you can pile on top of more instant rewards. That's what we call happy. Sign up now at Orbitz.com slash rewards to get instant vacation gratification or look under sponsors at RudyMaxa.com. If you've got aches and pain and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to Dave talk about Relief Factor 4. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor 4 and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information or to order Relief Factor 4, go online at relieffactor4.com. That's relieffactor4.com. Participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. It's 33 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Rudy Maxa's World. Nice to have you here on this July 4th weekend in America's favorite travel show, or at least the most widely syndicated radio travel show. I don't know if it's anybody's favorite, but I hope it's yours. Ellen Sussman has written a novel. She's an author of several other books, including, I'm turning to the back jacket, The Paradise Guest House, French Lessons, and on a night like this, she lives in Northern California, and she's published a new or written a new book that's just been published called *A Wedding in Provence*. It's published by Ballantine Books. Now, keep in mind, it's fiction, 
But the reason, you know, we normally don't have a whole lot of fiction writers on this show, but anything that involves travel, and uh, this one certainly does, uh, makes her welcome. Ellen, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's uh, very nice for you to have me on. Well, now, let me understand correctly. Um, even though the book I'm holding in my hand is, is a novel, you did live in France with your family for a few years? Yes. Uh, when my uh, daughters, um, who are now 26 and 28, were babies, um, I lived in Paris, and we traveled every summer to Provence. All right. And the book is called A Wedding in Provence. Now, did you, get, did you ever have a wedding in Provence, or is that uh, the, the <laughs> yes. structure of the book? No, my husband and I actually were married, but not in Provence. We were married in the Dordogne, uh, and that was 14 years ago. At that point, my daughters were, I think, about 10 and 12, or 12 and 14, perhaps. So the book is not autobiographical. In the novel, uh, the daughters are 26 and 28 and uh, out to uh, make a lot of trouble. My girls were, were not quite capable of that sort of trouble at that time. <laughs> but I, I so loved the notion of what it was like to have a, to bring your closest friends and family to France to celebrate a wedding um, in a spectacular location, and that was the inspiration for the novel. You did mention in the afterword that you hope your two daughters didn't get a lot of questions about what in the book <laughs> relates to their real life. Um, well, they will get a lot of questions, that's for sure. <laughs> of course they will, of course they will. Well, the Dordogne is certainly different than Provence, but, I mean, it's yes. still not Paris. I mean, it's the southern part of, well, the you know, it's, it's the countryside of France, the rural part of France. What is it that so charms us as Americans, you know, from Peter Mayle's books to, well, I guess you can count Tuscany in that category, that school of right. dreamy places we all dream. What is it that so enchants us about these regions? There is something remarkably romantic about Provence or the entire south of France. And I think in part, you know, it's the spectacular beauty of the place, the vineyards, the colors. I mean, the homes are will be these beautiful stucco homes with these vibrant, you know, light blue uh, uh, shutters. And uh, you'll have fields of lavender and then green hillsides and dramatic mountains. It's They sort of have it all. But then there's the light. And the light, does, I mean, that's why all the artists were attracted to Provence. And the light seems to imbue everything with this kind of heavenly glow. Uh, so I think that adds to it as well. And there is a long tradition of um, kind of a magical feeling of the romantic nature of the south of France. I've spent a lot of time there, and okay. I have ideal. I, I certainly fantasize, as all everybody does, I think, oh, what would it be like to live here? W right. Give me a thumbnail description of, of at least some of the downsides to living there, because we know the good sides. Well, you know, I lived in Paris, not in the south of France, but right. and I lived there for five years. And as a... As an expat, life, what one, what Americans find, I think, for the most part, is life is a little bit more challenging, especially and when I moved there. My, my French was terrible. Eventually, I got to about the level of my children's, you know, ch uh, children's French. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, services are, may not be as um, sort of quick and efficient as American services. Everything felt a little bit more difficult. But you kind of accept that and think this this is just part of the charm of life. You slow down, 
and slowing down for Americans is at first challenging. And then I think, <laughs> and then I think immensely rewarding. We find out what happens. And especially in the south of France, you know, life there is still siesta in the middle of the day. And uh, life moves at a very different pace. And people do stop and talk to you and talk to you slowly and want to know how you are. Um, so I think it is maybe a difficult adjustment to how different life is, but then there is so much to be gained from that experience. And in the minute we have left, how were you received as an American by friends? Did you, were you able to make friends with neighbors, with your shopkeepers? Yes. People you-, I, you know, all those uh, preconceived ideas about how the French t- treat Americans, I think if Americans make the smallest effort to speak French, to be friendly, you walk into a store and you have to say, Bonjour, and then, mm-hmm. and you have to say, if possible in French, do you speak English? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't make that assumption that um, everyone speaks English and everyone is there to to <laughs> the world should revolve around you, the French love. I mean, I, I when I moved there, I had a baby and I was pregnant and I was desperate to speak French, so I was trying, you know, everything I could to to speak the language. So the French really welcomed me and embraced me and made life rich and interesting. And I think it is sort of the attitudes that Americans bring to a brand new experience that can make it work or not work. I couldn't agree more, and I think it's even easier in the rural parts uh, outside of Paris, from my experience. Ellen Sussman is uh, the author of a new book. It's called A Wedding in Provence. It's published by Ballantine Books. It's a novel, but it'll give you a feel for the place. Check it out. We'll be right back. Rudy Max's world is coming right back. So get on the phone now at 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. You can also enjoy the program anytime at RudyMaxa.com. TrueCar.com is changing car buying forever. Yes, every day, TrueCar users receive negotiation-free, guaranteed savings. Some features not available in all states. In the first three months of this year, over 126,000 cars were sold by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. TrueCar users save an average of $3,078 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy a car, just follow three easy steps. First, go to TrueCar.com and find out what other people paid for the car you're looking for. Then register at TrueCar.com to see upfront pricing information and lock in your savings. Third, simple. Just print out your True Car Savings Certificate and take it to the True Car Certified Dealer for a better, hassle-free car buying experience. Remember, every day, True Car users receive negotiation-free, guaranteed savings. Save time, save money, and never overpay. Visit TrueCar.com today. That's TrueCar.com. Want a more colorful summer? Ask Sherwin-Williams and save 30% on paints and stains during the Great Summer Painting Party, June 22nd through July 7th. With colors like Beach House, Julep, and Fireworks, summer never looked better. Visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams paint store and save 30% today. Find your nearest store at sherwinwilliams.com sale. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. If you've got aches and pain and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to Dave talk about Relief Factor 4. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor 4 and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. 
For more information or to order Relief Factor 4, go online at relieffactor4.com. That's relieffactor4.com. Are you suffering from itchy skin? It's terrible. The itch you can't seem to scratch, being miserable and uncomfortable. You just want immediate relief that lasts. You need TriCalm. It's new and not like the same old itch products in your medicine cabinet. Dermatologist recommended TriCalm relieves itchy skin in minutes, and it's backed by the itch-free guarantee. If Tricom doesn't stop your itch, just mail them the empty tube and they'll send you a full refund. Tricom comes in a blue and white box in the first aid aisle at CVS, Walgreens, and other fine retailers. Get Tricom today and get relief. Introducing Orbit's Rewards. It's the only way to earn and redeem rewards instantly. And the only thing better than earning and redeeming instant travel rewards? Earning and redeeming even more instant travel rewards. When you join Orbit's Rewards, use the promo code GOGOGO for an extra 15% off eligible hotels. Instant rewards you can pile on top of more instant rewards. That's what we call happy. Sign up now at Orbitz.com slash rewards to get instant vacation gratification or look under sponsors at RudyMaxa.com. To participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. You're listening to America's favorite radio travel show, Rudy Maxa's World, and it's so nice to have you in the house. Ramsey uh, Quabin is a travel journalist, a business travel writer. He's a regular contributor to TravelSkills.com. He's written for Travel and Leisure, North Star Travel Media, travel journalist for BBC, Guy flies a lot, a lot of miles, 350,000 a year. We reach him down in North Carolina. I wanted to talk to him about a column he had posted to Travel Skills this week. Uh, following a trip, uh, several travel writers were invited to Delta's World Headquarters in Atlanta and given a behind-the-scenes peek. Ramsey, welcome to the show. I, I, I was most intrigued by this, uh, this ranking of flights. Um, for example, if there are, there's a backup at an airport, certain flights have prior, priority over, to the, over others. And what is it that determines that priority, or what is one of the factors that determines it? Well, hi, Rudy. Thanks for having me. Yes, um, Delta has a term called high-value customers. And that is based on, uh, there's several metrics for that. One of those is someone's a medallion status, their frequent flyer program status. So the platinum medallion and diamond medallions for their top two tiers are considered HVCs, high-value customers. Million milers, those who have flown a million mile or more in their life, are considered that. And also Delta has a program called Delta 360, which is for their top Spenders. So you may not be a medallion member, but you, you may spend a lot with the airline. And so also, can they, I add to that, you also have unaccompanied minors who have high priority as well, right? Correct. They may not necessarily be part of the overall term HVC, but when Delta has a delay on a flight and the people in the operations control center are watching these flights, if there are a lot of HVCs or any unaccompanied minors on a plane, those flights take priority. Interesting. That is so interesting. I never knew that. I simply thought it was, you know, whatever plane was next on the tarmac or next to take off. That's so interesting. Okay. And you talked about the number of people um, who go through the airport. And it's quite incredible in Atlanta, isn't it? And the number of Delta flights that pass through there every day. Well, Atlanta's often, you know, it, it will always ranked as the top airport in the world for passengers flown, and, and Delta is one of the largest uh, airlines in the world as well. So it's a quite busy place, and um, as you can see, the, uh, and there is a delay, it can, it can cause a few snags, but, but Atlanta has five runways 
uh, so they can take off or land planes uh, three at a time, which is uh, uh, quite an impressive feat. And 40% of Delta's fleet passes through their 150 gates at the Atlanta airport daily? Not, not to believe seventy And 70% of those passengers are, are going on to connecting flights. They're not locals. That's right. And, and Delta, Delta likes to uh, use the term world port for, for Atlanta because literally you can fly to um, the majority of their global destinations uh, from Atlanta. So it's, it is, it's, it's a fascinating place just from a sociological perspective, just to sit and watch the, the departure boards. <laughs> you, also, you also learned what flights they put closest to security. In other words, you know, easiest to get to from the main terminal and the quickest to get to. If you've flown from Atlanta, you know that there is a concourse called T, and uh, which is also a terminal, and um, this is the closest one to the security checkpoint um, from from the main entrance to the airport. So Delta has made a, a decision to place as many of their business if they have a flight with a lot of business travelers on it, usually to New York, usually to Washington, um, often to Chicago. Um, they try to place these from Terminal T to make it as convenient as possible for the local traffic. Um, you know, that would be business travelers who are uh, starting their trip in Atlanta. Of course, that's not a hard and fast rule, but they make it every effort to do so. So they really do cater to their most frequent ra- ra- the flyers, the people who spend the most, the people who fly the most. There is a very conscious effort to do that. You said that they, I know they've got a couple Sky Clubs or, you know, their, their, their airline membership clubs at Atlanta's airport, but you said the one near B-10 has the highest complaint rate in the entire club network because it's so cramped and small. But, but you know, Delta a few months ago said, okay, you, you can't bring any guests in without paying. And the idea was to cut down on the crowds. But apparently that hasn't still cut down sufficiently to make B-10 uh, a little more pleasant. Well, I think the Delta regular flyers will probably be familiar if they pass through Atlanta with B-10. It's a relic of um, many, many years ago, and it's really is not designed to be an airport club of today. It's essentially a large room. Well, you know, medium-sized room, um, whereas, whereas most airline clubs are several uh, large rooms kind of connected together. So sure. if you see this club, you realize it really is not designed to handle more than, you know, 80 people, uh, and that's kind of pushing it. Well, a most interesting look behind the scenes at Delta. I mean, I really learned, I mean, I know we have a short segment, but I learned a lot, particularly about the priority allocation of flights when they're delayed and and, uh, how they look at the status and spending power of the passengers or unaccompanied minors on those planes. Ramsey, thanks so much for uh, joining me. Thanks for having me, Rudy. Ramsey Quabian is a business traveler writer. He's a regular contributor to TravelSkills.com. You're listening to Rudy Max's World. We're going to take a break here. Stick with me. I'll be right back. To participate in the program and speak with Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025 or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. To join Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025. You can email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Maxa's World. And you are in Rudy Maxa's World, where we talk travel every Saturday and Sunday, depending on when your station carries our show. Um, generally for two hours. Some stations carry the show for one, but most carry for two. I mentioned at the top of the hour that uh, this past week, The Transportation Security Administration was ordered by uh, uh, security types to 
ratchet up security in airports around the world that have direct flights to the United States. They didn't give an explicit reason why. There have been a lot of people who have opined on that, and I suppose we could use common sense. Of course, it's an enhanced fear of terrorism. Uh, Dr. Todd Curtis is the foundation director of airsafe.com. He's a former Boeing safety engineer. He worked on the 777. He joins me to talk a little about this because he's uh, been writing about this widely. Todd, welcome to the show. Nice to have you back. Well, thanks for having me again. So so are we, are we blaming Yemen and al-Qaeda? Does that seem to be the consensus of opinion, or, or, or is all of this pure conjecture? It's conjecture as to what group, or even if it's just an individual, who's uh, behind the increase of security. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security wasn't really open about and transparent about what caused this warning to go out, which is good. Uh, they shouldn't tell us everything. But at the same time, this seems to be a rather not-too-specific warning that, yes, there may be something happening at some European airport on flights coming to the U.S., but no time, no airline, no flight number. And the consensus also seems to be, again, this is just, you know, opinion apparently of folks, is that the fear is that uh, the bad guys have been working overtime to figure out how to slip some kind of device, explosive device, uh, through that can't be detected by, uh, you know, traditional security machines at airports. Is that, is that the second fear? That's a, that's a fair assumption of what the fear may be, because as many of your listeners recall, there was a famous underwear bombing event of uh, December 2009, and the alleged mastermind behind the building of that bomb has been working uh, since then, hasn't been caught, uh, allegedly, according to some intelligence sources, has trained others to do more sophisticated versions of that bomb. And conceivably, they could have created something in that interim that could slip past security. So do we know what ratcheting up security means, what enhanced security means, what, you know, what happens at these airports when they get a directive like this from the TSA and the Department of Homeland Security? Well, it's entirely unclear for two reasons. First, uh, Homeland Security and TSA isn't really uh, excited about releasing their specific uh, procedures. But more importantly, since this was a threat that emanated outside the United States, it will be up to those countries, which, by the way, have not been specifically identified. It will be up to those countries to enhance security in ways that's uh, consistent with, with, with their policies. Now, the U.K. is clearly one of those countries from the media reports that have been coming out, possibly France as well. But it's unclear what countries are involved or what specific increased security measures they'll have. And uh, does the TSA have... I don't think they do, but correct me if I'm wrong. They don't have any pers- permanent personnel in these at these airports or at these locations to sort of monitor how Europeans are doing security-wise. I'm sure they do spot checks, but do we actually have personnel there on the ground in these major airports? Uh, it's uh, it's not clear to me how many uh, people or which uh, airports they have people on the ground over there, but clearly the TSA and the FBI and other elements of the U.S. government does have security and, and military and law enforcement representatives around the world. So conceivably, you could have elements other than the TSA involved in this. But the bottom line is, within those sovereign countries, it would be up to those militaries and those law enforcement agencies overseas to handle the bulk of the work. And it's interesting, you, you mentioned this seems to be focused on Europe. It seems to me these folks can fly in from just about anywhere. I mean, you know, come through the back door from South America, for all we know. That's entirely possible, and perhaps this is a bit of a misdirection on the part of Homeland Security, mentioning Europe when, as we all know, especially if you travel, uh, buying a ticket to fly to or from anywhere in the world is relatively easy. 
And I, I, I did hear on the news this morning, this being broadcasting live on Saturday morning, uh, right now it's coming on to noon Eastern time, um, that uh, there were delays of 30 minutes or so at uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport in, in Paris. Uh, but I haven't heard any outrageous delays at, say, Heathrow and, and elsewhere. Have you? I've only seen uh, scattered media reports. Manchester in the U.K. is one of the airports that have had uh, big delays, but those reports I read were from the 2nd and 3rd of July, right after they implemented these uh, new warnings. It's unclear what those delays are right now. I just remembered that TSA does have an office at Heathrow because I once lost my passport, or I discovered I didn't have it, on the way out to a flight from London from Heathrow. And I was allowed on the plane because a TSA agent came and looked at my driver's license and checked my picture against the one on the passport. So they do have a presence there. I probably should have uh, remembered that when I asked you that question. I mean, how active they are in overseeing the security of luggage and so on. The focus seems to be on people slipping stuff through security rather than into checked luggage, which is in the old days how a lot of this stuff happened, wasn't it? That's correct. There have been several cases in the U.S. and elsewhere where things were put into checked luggage. In fact, uh, some of you may remember the Unabomber. There was actually an attempt that he made to put a, a device onto an American Airlines aircraft. It didn't explode. It caught fire, but didn't explode. So it is indeed possible. Oh, my goodness, my goodness. Todd Curtis, uh, you can sign up for his newsletter, airsafe.com, um, and you can stay abreast of security issues involving airlines and airline security and safety. Todd, thanks for dropping by. Well, thanks for having me. Coming to the end of the show, I want to thank Jeff Ryder, my trusty engineer who worked really hard this week. We had to pre-record a lot of advanced interviews because, as you can imagine, on July 4th weekend, a lot of people didn't want to hang around and be on a radio show. But he did it. Janet DeAcevita McDonald really helped in that as well. She's my executive producer. I'm Rudy Max. See you next weekend. You've been listening to Rudy Max's World. And as always, you're hearing must-hear radio on the SSI Radio Network.